Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro offers premium brain health coaching to clients interested in peak cognitive performance globally. Go ahead and check out roscoeswetsuitneuro.com to sign up for a free 15-minute uh, introductory coaching call to see if brain health coaching is for you. Brain health coaching is going to encompass talking about diet. Uh, supplements, nootropics, sleep, uh, exercise, and other uh, ways that you can use research, neuroscience, research-backed uh, tools to enhance cognition. So go ahead and check out roscoeswetsuitneuro.com for that. Uh, we will also offer, uh, we'll be offering targeted neuromodulation services to clients interested in peak cognitive performance in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area starting in November of 2021. Sign up for our free email newsletter uh, at roscoeswetsuitneuro.com for all of the latest about that. Onto the show today, we have a very special guest, Jay Tuft. Jay founded the Performance Excellence and Recovery Consulting, uh, PERC, a consulting firm dedicated to providing developing athletes the tools necessary to elevate their mental game and perform in the face of stress, pressure, and adversity. Before Perk, Jay spent several years at the United States Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, spending hundreds of sessions working with the world's best athletes to elevate their performance. Jay's work at the USOTC led to a realization that it wasn't just athletes at the highest level that needed high-performance psychology training. It was all athletes that stood to benefit. So Jay, super uh, excited to have you on the show today, man. Welcome. Toby, really, really excited to be here. Um, we have we are in such a such a connected space, especially in the world of uh, peak performers. And um, I wanted to mention too, I think you'd appreciate this. When I was down at the Olympic Training Center, specifically, the work that I was doing was actually in psychophysiology. So we were doing bio and neurofeedback training with those athletes. So no, incredibly happy to be here. I'm I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely, and and maybe that would be a great place to start. I mean, what was, what was your experience working with biofeedback and neuro, uh, neurofeedback with these athletes? Like, tell me about like, was this oftentimes like the athletes first exposure to these sort of modalities Had they done it before they heard about it? Like, and then what were, what were kind of the results working with these athletes with those tools? Yeah. So when I was, when I got down there, it was on the tail end of me finishing up my master's degree. So it was a heck of an opportunity to go down there. And this was in preparation for 2016 for Rio it, because um, the Springs is actually a summer Olympic training site. The majority of uh, training sites, they have a summer or a winter designation in Colorado actually has two. So we have a summer one in the Springs and we have of course the winter one in Aspen that, you know, is absolutely beautiful up there. Um, <clears throat> but your question was, oh yeah, it was for, for many of them, it was absolutely the first time that they had been exposed to anything like that. Now, when I had come on there, there were a few clients that, um, the, um, that 
my supervisor had been had been working with. But there were absolutely over the course of those the couple of years that I was down there, there was many athletes who this was the very first time, um, you know, they had, you know, the gel in the hair and in the sensors and, and everything else like that. And then, you know, the heart rate monitors, we did a lot of HRV training. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was the first time that the majority of them had been exposed to it's the first time that I had been exposed actually to that technology, um, and to that training. And I think for me, that experience down there over the course of those two years was, um, transformational in terms of how I approach just performance psychology with my clients and with the groups that I work with. So no doubt it was, it was quite the experience, you know, schizophrenia, multiple personality, that sort of thing the first hundred years of psychology was all targeted towards that. And it really hasn't been until maybe the last 10, 15, maybe 20, probably more like 15 years of psychology that we've had a movement in the field where instead of just focusing on how do we get people back to normal, there's been this movement in this focus on how do we take people that are normally functioning, there's nothing clinical, there's nothing disordered, but how can we actually leverage psychology and the principles of psychology to allow them to achieve a higher level of performance, a higher level of functioning, you know, some form of like mental optimization. So that way they're actually able to go out and exceed and excel instead of just, instead of just focusing on the people that, you know, need to just be brought back to air quotes, normal. Um, and that's, that's one of the areas that, or that's where, you know, you see positive psychology and specifically high performance psychology and, you know, what you, even what you do with peak performance, like high performance neuroscience, you're, you're not working necessarily with people to solve depression and anxiety, although there's been some really cool research about how neurofeedback can do that. Um, you're working with people about how do we take you from where you are and get you from to from where you are to where you want to be or this higher level of functioning. And so all the things that go into a performance um, psychology program, I mean, you have, you know, depending on what you want to do, we had a variety of different classes. If you wanted to work with like high risk populations, such as soldiers and firefighters um, and, you know, surgeons, there's a, there are a few cool classes on that, but it's really just a, an understanding of obviously you need to have a strong psychological base. We, we need to understand, you know, the, the foundations of psychology, how the brain works. I think that's a big thing, especially when you're working with athletes and performers and just people in general, really understanding how the brain works. So we had some neuroscience classes that went into that as well. It was a very multidimensional program. Um, and it has to be because, when you think about working with, you know, all, I, I mean, at this point, it's easier to name a sport that I haven't worked with than a sport that I have worked with. And you need to have an understanding of, you know, how does the brain work? How does that connect to psychology? How does the body respond to stress? You know, at the, at the end of the day, high performance psychology is, or in the mental side of any sport is what we're working on. The mental side of any sport is, there to, if you invest in it, to help you get the most out of the physical, the technical and the tactical sides of the sport. Because at the end of the day, there's only, there's four things that we can train when it comes to a craft. You can train the physical side of a sport, technical, tactical, and then of course the mental and the mentals there not to replace any of the other, any of the other three, but rather as a way to maximize the amount of training that you can get. So you think about a person, you know, a young athlete who they're a great practice player. They can't, you know, a basketball player who can't miss a shot in practice, right? They're just make, they make everything, but then they go into a game and they're having a hard time translating that physical, technical, tactical training. And they're try having a hard time, you know, bringing that to the forefront in the, in the face of stress and pressure and adversity. So 
that's a long-winded answer. It's a big question. Um, there's a lot that goes into it, but I think the the fundamental principle of of psychology or performance psychology, as as I learned it down at the training center and in the program, and you know this philosophy that I've built is that at the end of the day, every single person, whether you're an athlete, performer, corporate executive, just in your job, we all have this optimal mental and physical state where if we can achieve that in a moment that matters, we're gonna we're going to put position ourselves to, to have much more success than if our, if our mental state is, is something else, something other than that. Jay, it's, it's interesting. Um, Cause when I, when I'm explaining my work, I often sort of use a, a, like sort of exercise sort of analogy in the sense of, you know, utilizing these different neurotechnologies for peak performance. And I kind of explain to people like, you know, you don't just go to the gym when yeah. your shoulder hurts. Mm-hmm. Right you actually might skip the gym when your shoulder hurts, right? For sure. If you're training, but you go to the gym, you know, or train as a, as a elite athlete or any, any sort of athlete to, you know, while you're already healthy to get your body in its best, you know, physical shape as possible. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's so interesting that, you know, as you alluded to the, the early days of psychology wasn't at all focused on that. It was only no. focused on disorders, mm-hmm. but that's still a lot of people's mindset is Thousand percent. Why, why do I need this stuff? And my response is you don't need it just right. as you don't need to go to the gym. Yeah. But if you want to enhance your physical body, you might go to the gym. If you want to enhance your cognition, you might use a tool like neurofeedback or neurostimulation. Mm-hmm. I think I, completely agree with you. I think that there's still very much the stigma of when you use the word psychology of any kind, people immediately go to, or I think they're immediately response, like their immediate response is, well, there must be something wrong with me then, you know? So when a parent goes to a young athlete, I think many times, unfortunately, when they're like, Hey, you know, what if you go see somebody like myself or like yourself, their response is going to be, well, I don't need that because there's, there's nothing wrong with me. They, they don't quite have the framework yet. Um, and, and I think there's the fields themselves, we, maybe we haven't done a good enough job educating. And I think that's a big part of why I'm starting to put stuff out online to really talk about what this is and, and same with you with this podcast, but that's the immediate impression. I think we're still very much working up against um, the stigma of just the word psychology itself. And, and I've absolutely had to have conversations with, you know, even high school and college age athletes, like, listen, you're not here because anything's wrong with you. I mean, you could, you could go the rest of your life without this conversation. And you could also go the rest of your life continuing to struggle with stress and pressure in the specific arena of your sport or your performance. And there's probably nothing terrible or nothing bad that's going to happen to you. Like you could go on and live a perfectly normal life. But if you want to learn how to maybe overcome some of these mental blocks that you have, or some of these mental barriers that you have, or just anything that's keeping you from being the best version of yourself in some of these big moments, well, then let's have a conversation. But if not, I mean, no harm, no foul, but understand that, you know, it's no different than somebody who, well, I'm not strong enough. I'm not strong enough to, you know, I'm not big, big, big and strong enough to play football or rugby. Like, okay, well, you could go the rest of your life not being big and big enough and strong enough to play football or rugby, and you would leave a perfectly normal life, perfectly healthy, perfectly normal life. But if it's really important to you to play football and rugby, rugby, we probably got to get you in the gym. 
you know, it's the same thing, but they, it's, 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 it's at times it can be a hard bridge to get bridge to gap because of this, whether it's a limiting belief or just in innate bias that we have still towards mental health or sports psychology. Cause even, I mean, for, for what I do, I don't even really call what I do like mental health, you know, it's mental performance, you know? Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Well, tell me, tell me about Perk and tell me about kind of, uh, yeah. kind of just what, what, what kind of got you to start it and, yeah. and what it encompasses. Well, what got me to start it was one of the very first individuals that I had when I was down at the Olympic training center, I was actually approached by a parent of a figure skater that wasn't of this country. And you know, this figure skater was incredibly talented. Um, but she was having a hard time. And of course, figure skaters are very young, you know, figure skaters and gymnasts, they start incredibly, incredibly young, but they also exit their sport young. I think the, I was chatting with a, with a old school figure skating coach one time, and we're kind of chatting about this. And she goes, you know, you know what you call an old figure skater? I go, what? She goes, a curler. I'm like, okay. It just to kind of drive home this point of, you know, these are very young people and they also exit their sport very young. And this figure skater was no different, but she was, she was incredibly talented. She was incredibly, incredibly talented. And because of this got thrust into the ranks of the national team for figure skating for her sport at a, at a much younger age than you would expect. But there's not as much competition in this country for figure skating. And she was, she was also, she was good enough. I mean, you don't get to, you don't get to go out on the ice unless you can land the elements, you know, unless you could do a triple, triple axle, triple style There's just a, there's a checklist of elements that you've got to be able to hit before you can even go on TV. And she was able to hit these. And then she goes to kind of her first big meet, you know, the first, you know, level elite, you know, TV time, first big meet. And she has such a massive reaction to that moment, to the stress of that moment, to the pressure of that moment, that it, it got to a point where she physically could not take the ice. And this is somebody who's just incredibly talented. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, all the, all, like we talked about all the physical training, she had all the physical gifts, all the technical gifts, understood the tactics of her sport very well, but nobody ever had a conversation with her about what was going to happen when the lights came on. And that was a real problem. And so, you know, the, the parent ended up, you know, getting in touch with me and reaching out with me and we worked, we worked hard and all the credit goes to this young, the, to this young athlete, because she put in the work, she bought in, she overcame this, the bias and the stereotypes to psychology. And this was like four years ago, you know, and she was eventually able to, to get past this mental barrier and to go on and to have a, to have a successful career um, that was no longer going to be hindered or impacted by her inability to handle that stress or that pressure. And that client was, again, just kind of one of those kind of transformational moments. Like you're at the fork in the road, which way do I go? Do I, do I do like the majority of people want to do and try and get into a college athletic department or go work with a pro team or a minor league team in baseball or whatever it was. And I said, no, I think that I really firmly believe that what we're doing here needs to be made available to younger developing athletes to high to youth to high school aged athletes you can have a con you can distill these concepts down you can start having these conversations at a young age so then maybe you know i maybe there's a, a chance that you know an athlete who gets these resources a little sooner a little earlier they don't fall flat on their face and in, in one of these big moments because i don't think that you need to i don't think that you need to fall flat on your face before you realize that the mental side of, of your sport is important so 
that led me to start Perk, which is Performance Excellence and Recovery Consulting. So, you know, at the time, Performance Excellence is this idea of, you know, being able to show up as the best version of yourself in the, in the face of that stress and pressure and adversity. I use those three words a lot. And then the recovery piece is I did a lot of work with athletes coming back from injury. That's actually a really um, kind of a very niche area that I really enjoy working with. Um, you know, an athlete who breaks a bone or has a, has a terrible fall. And, you know, there's, there's a mental side to that return to sport as well. Um, but that led to starting perk. And I specifically specialized in, youth and developing athletes and performers and it, the message took you know there were several organizations out here that bought into that idea parents loved the idea because i think there's a lot of parents out there maybe even some that'll listen to this where you see your athlete struggling you see your athlete just not being the best version of themselves in some of these big moments and and it's a helpless feeling as parents and that's what we're all about. That's what my company's been about for, for quite a while now. And we've had a lot of success and it's only really been until this year, maybe a little bit more of an encouragement uh, boost from the pandemic. If there's something good that came from the pandemic on my end, it was, you know, I finally had some time to step away from all the work that I was doing and say, you know, how can I get this message and how can I get some of this training out there? So that way other people outside of the Denver area, um, you know, can have access to some of these resources. Hi guys, it's Toby Passman, host of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I hope you guys are enjoying the show today so far. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Let's create something great together. If you guys sign up, you'll receive a $20 Amazon gift card. Um, just click the link in the show notes and uh, go ahead and sign up for that. All right, let's get back to the show. Jay, let me ask you, is, is there a big difference in working with kind of youth athletes versus like professional high performance? Like I wanted to ask about that along with kind of uh, differences between different sports. You mentioned sure. the importance of being able to sure. kind of work with athletes who play different <clears throat> sports. Is it all no. kind of the same principles or, or does it differ much? So let's first address the, the difference between a youth athlete and a professional athlete. And then we'll get into kind of the, how, how I go about working with different sports. Cause those are two very different conversations. Um, great questions. Let's see here. So, because it's interesting, it's funny too, because like yesterday I had, I had six clients on the calendar and three of them were like what I would consider like developing athletes. So these are your youth high school and even college age athletes. So amateur status athletes. And then the other three were pros, you know, I've got a couple um, pro um, women's soccer players that I've been working with. And then I have a professional sand volleyball player that I've been working with as well. And I would say the difference is, and this is where you know, what I do, there's absolutely science to it. And then there's some art to it too, right? Because you can know all the science in the world, but if you can't make it connect to a different, each individual person, you're not going to have any success. So with younger athletes, I would say 
it's a lot more foundational work. You know, these are people who have, you know, limited sport experience, certainly, but like they're, they're dealing with a very specific problem. And generally that specific problem is just like, it's like fundamental work. It's like when you start playing basketball or baseball, there's just some fundamentals that we need to be able to have established. Now that doesn't mean that professionals, and I think it would surprise many people about how many Olympians or professionals have never even touched a mental training book, but with professionals, not to say that they don't have the fun fundamentals in place. They do, but I think we get into maybe more of the advanced work very quickly, or they're also grown adults. And so you have to consider the other stressors that they have in their life and how that may be impacting them, you know, as people as well, you know, they have a variety of other roles that they play versus, you know, a high school athlete, you know, they're a high schooler, you know, and they've got, they've got all the challenges that a high schooler has, but that's pretty much where they're their role in life is segmented where a pro is, you know, you're dealing with immense amounts of you know, a lot more pressure very quickly with, you know, maybe you're a parent or a spouse, or you're the main breadwinner or whatever it may be, or, you know, what you do is very taxing on the family. And that could be that. So those conversations can steer a little bit differently, but I would say with, with youth and developing athletes, we really spend a lot more time on fundamentals. We spend a lot more times on the fundamentals of what makes up a, a highly productive mindset for them within their sport. And we can get to that in a second. What are some of the basic mental skills that we can install to give them an immediate impact, that sort of thing. But it's just a lot more developmental work. And it's very, very, very helpful. Um, and then as you know, you know, I've had, I've got a, a, a few, what I would call, you know, again, developing athletes that I've had for several years now. And, but now we're in a place where all those fundamentals and foundations are installed and I'm doing professional level work with a 16 year old, you know, we're having that, those types of conversations and that's where it becomes very powerful, right? That's where if you can stick it out, it's like, you know, somebody learns how to squat. And, you know, so uh, you take a young person into the gym, you teach them how to squat, how to overhead press. And then pretty soon, by the time they graduate high school, they're doing these big complex Olympic level lifts. Well, they're able to do those lifts because of the time that they spent building up these foundational skills. And that's kind of the approach with the youth athletes um, versus with the pros. Many times we've got to be a lot more, you know, time isn't always of the essence with professional athletes. I've got to, you know, I've got a field goal kicker dude's got to make his kicks, right? Otherwise there's not going to be a next year. So we need to really accelerate that work. And I probably meet with him a lot more than I meet with my youth athletes um, or developing athletes, with, which, which is like once a week. So, yeah, so that would be that. And then I don't know if you want to get into, we can talk about how we go about different sports, but if you have any questions on youth versus adult, we can definitely go over that. Yeah. I mean, uh, just to make, <clears throat> I kind of summarize and make sure I understand. I mean, it seems like, so kind of depending on what, what age you're at, you need to kind of have the fundamentals down. And yeah. if you have the fundamentals down at an earlier age, then you're able yeah. to kind of progress into this more advanced yeah. work. Yeah. And I, I would say that a lot of the issues that, that I see, a lot of the common ones that I see, especially in young athletes are, you know, performance anxiety, um, confidence, right. Handling pressure. Um, and those are, you know, there's a foundational, there's a baseline that we need to be able to establish with those individuals and everything's customized to each person, but the philosophy is, is generally pretty similar amongst those individuals. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And then, yeah. So kind of moving on to that, that second part of the <clears throat> question, as far as, um, working with, with different types of, uh, with athletes in different sports, Sure. is sure. there any, are there, are there big differences in say working with a, a field goal kicker and then the next client you have is, you know, uh, an MLB pitcher. I mean, is there, Massive is there differences? 
massive differences. Yeah. And I think, I think it, you know, I don't, maybe there's not as much of a difference between a field goal kicker and a MLB pitcher because technically they both play what we would call like a closed sport where it's just them, you know, like an, uh, an, um, an MLB. Well, I guess that's not entirely true because an NFL kicker absolutely can't get tackled. So that's not entirely true, but I think there's a lot more similarities between the sports of there's figure skating and gymnastics are very similar sports and they require very similar tasks. And so versus the sports of basketball or football or rugby, they're very different. And what I'm, what I'm getting at here is <clears throat> when I sit down with an athlete, we, there, it's a twofold process. We first have to, let's identify where the athlete is. Do they have this baseline? What are some of the struggles? But then you also have to take a look at what sport does this athlete play? And what are the very specific or unique psychological demands of that sport? Because the psychological demands of golf versus football are very different, right? A golfer, can take as much to well pretty much as much time as he wants but then also when he steps up to hit that shot he has to be very precise <clears throat> you know i think that i think the math is like a, a golfer who hits a drive and his club face is one degree open on a 200 yard shot is 20 yards to the right right so that's that's a you have to be very very precise and so the demands of golf versus the demands of a nfl quarterback nfl quarterback cannot take a ton of time to make a decision like a golfer can so we have to train those people differently and I think that's where, unfortunately, what you see it on social media or Instagram, you see a lot of people putting out kind of these cookie cutter programs where one size fits all, doesn't matter what athlete you are. And that's just not going to work unless it's, you know, some sort of just basic mental skills program or, or like I have a confidence course that would absolutely work for every single person out there. But I think... <clears throat> Each, you know, any sort of course or any sort of program, whether it's an online course or a group coaching program or, you know, what I do with my one-on-one -on -one clients, you need to be able to make sure that what you're getting is both customized to you and your own unique struggles and what that looks like personally for you. But then also, how do we couple that with what the demands of that person's sport are and what do we need to be able to train them to be able to do at a very high level? Got it. Got it. What about in terms of, in terms of kind of group, uh, group sports, you know, yeah. uh, do you ever kind of work with whole teams yes. collectively? Cause it, it, it seems like, you know, someone could have, you know, the, the, their own psychology kind of mastered per se, but say they step, you know, they're, they're, you know, they don't, they're not very cohesive with, with this other player mm -hmm. who they have to, you know, work with quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. Should you I ever work with the dynamics of teams? Absolutely. All the time. And I, I would say probably pre COVID, that was probably 30% of the work that I did. Now that's obviously tapered down now, but we are starting to see um, team sports kind of come back, which is great. Kids need to get out and play. Kids need to get out of the house. Parents need their kids to get out of the house. So it's good to see um, that it's starting to come back. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then, so, so, you know, we're sitting here talking about individuals and the demands of their sport. But then absolutely, I mean, we had a whole, I think, semester in school, you know, and I've read, and I think even the books that I've read have been just as transformational, but then also the work that I've done, you know, over the last five years, I think I totaled it up, I've done almost 1200 
team sessions, just team group sessions. And, and that's, of course, working with everything from group dynamics to cohesion to leadership to, you know, getting buy-in. How do you, you know, what is what is really the, the tactics to getting, you know, basically a group of individuals unified and directed like an arrow towards a common goal? Not always easy. And then you couple that with the majority of the teams have been teenagers. Also not always easy. But that's that's that can be some incredibly rewarding work, but absolutely there's in but then again you have to say, okay, where's this team at? What does this team need from a group dynamic standpoint, cohesion standpoint, leadership standpoint? But then also what is some what are some of the struggles that this team is is having? And then and specifically, how are those struggles translating to them not meeting the psychological demands of their sport? So for example, a hockey team that just in general, this team tends to play very passively. Well, we need to go into every single person or have a conversation and have some sort of session with the team where every single person can kind of visit and try and understand why am I being passive? Why am I not being aggressive enough? And, but then also it's a lot easier as a group. It's like, um, this is gonna, I don't know if this is gonna be a, a terribly offensive example, but what they say is like if you have a dog and you train that dog, but then you get a puppy, they always say the second puppy is a lot easier to train because the second puppy learns from the first puppy. That same concept is how people learn the same way, right? If you put a group of people in trying to learn to become aggressive, it's gonna be a, a, generally a lot easier to get a group of people to be like, all right, we are going to be aggressive than one person to not be passive anymore and to get that person to be aggressive. So there's a lot of kind of group learning and, and you know, some, some art to how do you work with a group of people to be able to do that? But it's absolutely a lot of fun for sure. Jay, do you find that um, say coaches of teams, do you find that they, uh, that they understand much sports <clears throat> psychology, that they integrate much sports hmm. psychology into their actual coaching? Cause yeah. like, you know, someone that comes to mind, say a guy like Phil Jackson, right. Mm. You know, who is, who is kind of famous for like, you know, or, or I don't want to say famous for that. Um, he's famous for winning tons of championships, but, <laughs> but you know, uh, they, the media kind of illuminated the fact that he integrated, you know, mindfulness and med yep. meditation, you yep. know, really emphasizing that, that those aspects of, of, yep. of kind of getting, getting all of the athletes minds, right. You know, in yes. terms of, working with them. And I just kind of wanted to, you know, hear your experience working with, with teams. Like, is that, do coaches pay much attention or is that why they bring someone like you on because they don't really understand that side of things? I would say it's a big fat. It depends. It's a big end. It depends. And I've had, I've had the range of experiences right now, generally at this point, when I go into an organization, the organization is coming to me being like, listen, we understand this is important. We're bought in the coaches, the coaches want it. And, but I've also had situations where you walk into a situation, you walk into a team and the coach basically treats you as if, well, if there's something wrong with you, go see that guy. Right. I've absolutely had the range of experiences. And I think, I think with coaches now, generally those people who there, there's going to be a, a group of coaches that are just so old school, so resistant. They just, they think that they can X and O their way past the human brain. And that is what it is. And I think it's also probably sports specific. So for example, you see a lot more people working with mental people or mental performance coaches or sports psychologists working with golfers or tennis or figure skating or gymnasts or um, even baseball. Whereas the sports of hockey and the sports of football at the highest levels maybe aren't exactly 
open as open to it. And that's more of a culture thing within those sports. So I think it, it can be sports specific, but I think for the most part, the, the coaches that I have, and I think, you know, my in, in the way that I get buy-in from the coaches is I'm kind of here to make your life easier. You know, it's pretty rough for a coach to have a team that doesn't get along, that's having a hard time with group dynamics, or is really having a hard time with stress and pressure because they don't know what to do. And it's not their job to know. That's not their job. Just like it's not their job to make their athletes bigger and faster and stronger. That's why the majority of these sport organizations that I work with have some sort of strength and conditioning coach, or they have a dry, they have an off, off ice or dry land or just workout program that they get themselves in. It's not the coach's job. And I think that's got to be the approach for me is to go in and to see the coach as like an ally. And it's, you know, many times I get the most buy-in from a coach when, you know, they're saying, Hey, you know, we're having a really hard time. Let's say, go back to one of the hockey teams that I work with. We're having a really hard time in the third period, last five minutes, you know, and the, in, in hockey coaches aren't exactly warm and fuzzy. So they use some pretty harsh language. Like we fold, we choke, like we're just, we're soft, right? That sort of thing. Well, it's my job then to dissect what's going on, get with the team. All right, let's identify what's going on. What do we need to install here um, from a training standpoint to get you guys back to where you need to be? And then also, what do we need to buy into? So like I said, big, it depends. I think it depends on the sport. Like I said, I think there's sport, some sports that are more open to it than not. I think there's going to be some coaches that are more open to it than not. You know, it's kind of like the law of thirds. You familiar with the law of thirds? Like if you go and speak to a group of people, 30 per, 30% of them are never going to listen to a thing you say. 30% of them are super bought in. You got that 30% on the fence, right? Or 33% on the fence, whatever it is. You want, I just want to get that 33% on the fence. Like, give me a shot at those people plus the people that are bought in because there's absolutely going to be people that just think it's dumb, it's soft, it's fluffy. This guy's probably going to come in and put my athletes in a circle and sing Kumbaya, and that's what it is. And that's that's just what their opinion is going to be. Um, but there's also a lot of great coaches out there that I think, and I think we're starting to see, just like anything else, a movement more of more organizations starting to provide this as a resource. And if you want my honest opinion, if you really wanted to see this take off, if there's any parents that are listening to this, it's kind of on you. You're especially at this youth and high school sport level, we see, you know, youth sport has become so monetized. There's so much money in you. I mean, I think it's the last numbers I saw, it was going to eclipse like a $20 billion industry this year as like a youth sport. So there's a lot of money in it. And there's also, that also brings some people that maybe don't have your best interests at heart when it comes to it. Um, but I think as parents, as the consumers, as the ones cutting the check, when you start to really take a look at like the organization that you're going to send your athlete off and they're sitting there selling you on, you know, we're going to, we have complete development here. I think we really have to ask ourselves, can it be complete development unless they have somebody coming in to bring in the mental side? Because that's what happened with strength and conditioning. Right. There was a time, there was a period when no college athletic department, no professional athletic, no professional team had a strength and conditioning coordinator until the consumers demanded it. And then eventually it became commonplace. So now in almost every single, I mean, every single, you know, high level sport academy or sport organization out here has some sort of strength and conditioning because at this point it would look weird if they didn't. We're not quite there yet with the mental side. And I think that's mostly because the consumers haven't asked for it enough yet. Got it. Got it. Well, Jay, uh, we're coming up onto the end of the show, but yeah. uh, before we wrap up any uh, kind of pieces of uh, kind of take home information that any uh, tips or pieces of advice for, you know, athletes, whether they be, you know, amateur 
yeah. youth athletes or, or professional athletes listening to this as far as just uh you know any ways they can go about kind of mm-hmm. maximizing their performance from a from a psychological standpoint absolutely I, I think that if you're anybody you know it's interesting i i'll sit down with a, a, a brand new group of people and i'll ask them you know how much of their sport is mental and you always get a big percentage almost always at least over 50 percent for whatever reason but then i'll ask the same group of people how much time have you spent putting you know, putting time into the mental side of your sport. It's always a big old goose egg, right? Nobody does anything. And here's the thing. I, I'm not of the belief that that's because kids are lazy. And I'm not of the belief that that because that it's because they don't want to, or they don't think it's important because they just told me they thought it thought it was important. And I see how hard some of these kids work um, towards their craft. I think it's an, I think it's a knowledge issue. I think it's a resource issue that we have. And that's one of the reasons why I started the train with perk side train with perk perk is P-E-R-C dot com. And if you wanted to get started, a super easy way is to get over there, train with perk, um, perc.com slash free guide. And what you'll find there is a 100% free downloadable guide. It takes 10 minutes to get through. And what's in there is three easy to install tools that anybody can use to better mentally prepare for any moment, whether you've got a game, a tryout, a camp, a test at school, doesn't matter. This is, this is absolutely going to help you. Basically I built the thing as if somebody walked into my office, panicked on like a Thursday or Friday, Jay, I've got this big thing coming up on Monday. What can I work on over the weekend? Those are the three things that I would tell that person to work on. It takes you step-by-step step exactly through how to do each one of those. So again, that's a train with perk, perc.com slash free guide. Um, and then you'll see, I've got a, I've got a YouTube channel that's connected to that site too, but I think that's a, that's a great first place to start. Awesome. Awesome. Well, for those of uh, you guys who enjoyed the show today, uh, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel where Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro. Um, also, go ahead and subscribe on whatever audio platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, and go ahead, if you have any questions, comments, or requests for the podcast, uh, feel free to shoot me a DM at Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro on Instagram or email me at Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast at gmail.com. Jay, I wanted to really thank you for coming on the show today. I uh, had a really good time just uh, hearing all of this stuff. Could talk to you for hours, but you know, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your expertise. Yeah, man, Toby, thank you so much for having me. Um, and I'd be happy to come on if there's a specific topic that that your audience wants us to dive more into or that they wish that we could have gone more in depth on. I'd be happy to come back anytime. Awesome. We'll do it. All right.